0: Now I'd like to introduce tonight's speaker, Ms. Camille Paglia. Camille Paglia is university professor of humanities and media studies at the University of the Arts in Philadelphia. She is the author of Break, Blow, Burn, Sexual Personae, Sex, Art, and American Culture, and Vamps and Tramps. She has also written The Birds, a study of Alfred Hitchcock. Please give a very, very warm welcome to Camille Paglia. Thank you for that warm welcome. Um, I've just spent five years writing this very slim book, which is a, a, a handbook to the history and evolution of styles in, um, in Western art. And I did this in order to fill what I think is a, it's just a huge gap in the market. Um, I, as a career teacher in art schools for the last 40 years, I've been extremely concerned about what I think is um, an increasing lack of exposure of our students at every level to art. If you happen to have parents who are interested in the arts, take you to museums, uh, you know, show that they're looking at art books, um, then you have a kind of a privilege which the majority of our students do not. Uh, As I say in the introduction to this uh, book, that people, uh, art lovers, who live in cities with major museums, suffer from what I call a tragic complacency about the condition of the fine arts and and in fact, their future. Um, As a classroom teacher, I I feel very much on the front lines. I'm very aware of what the students uh, know and don't know. They're, they um, uh, they are absorbed in video games, they, uh, in, in their personal you know handheld devices, um, email and Twitter and Facebook and so on. But um, this culture has been extremely negligent in not uh, making s- uh, some attempt to systematically introduce children at the primary school level to the arts. So this, this book, Glittering Images, is, is the first step in my crusade. Uh, I, 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 I want to argue for um, the introduction of real art history courses at the primary uh, school level. Um, right now, what's called art class, you know, at that level, is, is just do it yourself. It's, it's sort of in the main line of John Dewey, express your inner creativity. The stu- you know the teachers hand construction paper and glue pots to the to the kids and they make you know Mother's Day cards and all kinds of things. This is not helping. Okay, um, uh, develop. You know, it's not cultivating our students. In Europe, um, in contrast, the fine arts, uh, you know, the cultural heritage is it's part of national identity. Uh, to, almost to excess. Uh, so much great art has been made in, in Europe, but I think it's, it ultimately is kind of stultifying. It's like living, constantly living in a museum. Uh, in America, uh, I, I, we, we, we are the nation of innovation and technology. We have so many ideas. It's because we're a relatively young country. We don't feel that enormous burden uh, you know, of, of the past. And also, you know, European history the wars, you know, the soil is drenched in blood and massacres, etc. We're, we're like a fresh new country, but the you know the fine arts have never taken deep root here. There's, there's always been an issue. This is a very practical country. Um, in the 19th century, art tended to be associated with the women with wives. Men regarded it, you know, uh, men of action regarded as as, uh, as, uh, as sentimental, and you know, it's like so. There's always been this problem that the that the artist is regarded as Um, decadent, effete, uh, not a real man, okay, in the, here, Um, and uh, the, the, uh, it wasn't until the period of Jackson Pollock, of course, that the, um, that the capital of the art world switched from Paris to to New York, but, uh, you know, what I'm, what I'm saying, in effect, is that the art world in the U.S. is still living off these past glories, and it um, and is really, I think, delusional, okay, about about the condition of the of the arts. At any rate, um, I, I, I felt that there's been something has happened, okay, in, in terms of the visibility of, of of the arts, for for young people. When I was in college, there was a wonderful series of paperback books from England that were just little, quite inexpensive, very little text, mostly illustrations. There'll be like. Aestheticism, you know, Art Nouveau, <coughs> Futurism, The Bauhaus. I still have these books. They were wonderful. Okay? Uh, so uh, About 15 years ago, I invented a seminar at the University of the Arts where I teach. I've been teaching for 28 years in Philadelphia uh, called, called Style in Art. And I, and I was looking for um, a handbook that could explain to my, the students in the seminar who um, were not in the visual arts, not visual arts majors, just something about you know, the major styles in the history of art. I mean, uh, the, the, the visual arts majors have uh, a, a formal art history foundation program, okay? But the, the jazz musicians have no um, contact with that, the dancers, the actors, okay? So I, I was looking and I thought, what the heck? There's absolutely nothing? Just a little uh, inexpensive introduction to the history of styles. So I investigated further and to my horror, okay, I discovered that um, style studies are out, okay? Style studies went out. In the 1970s, with the introduction of identity politics, okay, which is very content based, very ideological. Okay. In other words, uh, all of a sudden, you know, that's when aesthetics also uh, went. Okay. Aesthetics are now defined as, as uh, by definition, ideological, okay, in the, the kind of um, uh, debased Marxism that, you know, that passes for leftism in the universities. Um, <laughs> and um, I, 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 and I, it was hard, as in the process of doing this book, there are 29 chapters. Uh, beginning in ancient Egypt and crossing 3,000 years to, to the present, to, to the period of uh, digital art. Uh, I, so I was, for each chapter, okay, I was doing a full survey of the available scholarly lit- literature on each one of these styles. Okay? And so I would, I would begin my favorite period, which is the late 19th century period of German philology, when you had scholars of incredible erudition, massive erudition, my fa- very influential on me from college on. So I would move chronologically through the decades. And the, the, the scholarship in art was still very strong, okay, through, through, right up until the 1970s. 80s, 90s, and the diminution okay, in quality of scholarship coming out of our universities. It is scandalous, absolutely scandalous. The destruction of the humanities in this country okay, by the importation of those false messiahs, Lacan, Derrida, and Foucault, okay, <laughs> whom I have been waging war against for 20 years. Right, the destruction was really <laughs> evident to me okay, in doing this book. Okay. Yeah, there are competent and responsible younger scholars working in art history, but none of them has a fraction of the erudition of the old scholars. They have no broad perspective, whatever, okay? There's been an absolute collapse. And as post-structuralism and post-modernism have been fading, this other thing is still there called cultural studies, okay? which is completely uncultured, okay? Uh, And what that is basically, it's an outgrowth of postmodernism. It's just taking a little bit of, it's like very showy, very pretentious, very superficial. Okay, but you can make a killing. Okay, you know, in, 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 it, you can be, you get wonderful high appointments at Berkeley, Harvard, at Stanford. Okay, at USC. Okay, if you follow this thing called cultural studies, and what it is is you take a little bit of here, like um, just take, um, you know, something from a, a movie. Okay, something from a novel. Okay, you know, something from a TV. Okay, and then you sort of mix it up, just like a popcorn popper. Right? And then, okay, you use a very pretentious, supercilious language. And there are abundant references to Hegel. Uh, LAUGHTER late capitalism and so on and you've done cultural studies okay it is atrocious okay these people have no sense whatever of the actual vitality of popular culture which i have been fighting for and arguing for in graduate school from when i was at yale 1968 to 72 it cost me dearly okay my my endorsement of popular culture at a time when that such a subject was cons- was not considered serious okay but i was a follower of andy warhol my hero who embraced all the iconography of Hollywood, of Elizabeth Taylor, and Marilyn Monroe, and so on. That's one of the things in my book, the Marilyn diptych, this magnificent, what I call an icon screen that's now at the Tate Gallery in, in London. Um, and you know I, what I feel is that this, this use of popular culture today in this promiscuous and, in, in, you know, and inexact way by a very prominent academics right now, um, it, it, it's an abuse of popular culture, okay? and, and, it, and, and it's also uh, an avoidance of of qualitative values qualitative standards right i believe that it is, it, you cannot just um, say there, that there are no standards, that every single standard in aesthetics is based in ideology or a secret power play. Okay? I believe that you, ca- that you can say this work is better than other works. And the, the same thing is in not only in the history of art, the fine arts, but also in popular culture. Okay? So I, that, like, that's why you know, I've been also on a campaign against Lady Gaga okay, you know, for the last few years. Okay? And she has many virulent supporters, and I probably, my life is probably in danger you know, at, the, at the present moment. Okay. Right, but I'm sorry. You know, Lady Gaga has not produced anything of the level. Okay. Of of um, you know, Madonna at her high point. Madonna's in the pit right now. I, I mean, I, I don't want to. <laughs> I'm not defending anything Madonna has done since 1992. Okay? But, but what she did from 1983 to 1992 was truly art. Her, her, her video for Vogue was a true work of art. Okay? And that's one, actually one of the finest works of art that emerged from that particular period. And similarly now, you know, I would say that, that Adele, okay, that magnificent voice of, of Adele, okay, has produced a number of, of things that I would categorize as art. Uh, for example, you know, the, her song Rolling in the Deep, as well as set fire to the rain. I mean I I absolutely shiver, okay, when I hear set fire to the rain. I compare it to a baroque oratorio, okay? Uh, she's in the main line of great singers like Dusty Springfield and others sort of the, sort of the blue eyed soul, you know, the singers and, um, of England. Anyway, that's a digression, okay? All right. All right. My point is, okay? How can we how can we introduce our, our young people to the fine arts in this period where um, where now you, know, the, you know, the the genres that are really booming are computer animation uh, I say in the in the book the industrial design you know is is booming my industrial designers have have amazing minds much more interesting than, than um, the minds of uh, academics you know in the, in the Ivy League um, I, uh, web design is is flourishing uh, and um, I think uh, the crafts also, the, the, the expressiveness and the personal uh, uh, quest pattern that used to be in painting, the genre of painting, seems to have migrated in, into crafts. metalwork and, and fibers and so on. We, we have majors in all those things at the University of the Arts. But the problem with crafts is that the materials used for crafts are, are fragile or are very precious. You know, it's, uh, sil- silver and gold and so on. And um, they don't lend themselves easily to making monumental Mental statements, large statements. So, in the process of, of doing this book, by the way, the the, the very first um, work in it is a, is a tomb painting from the the tomb of Queen Nefertari, um, of the, which the Getty Institute okay was involved in. in you know, in uh, they very kindly you know um, provided the image for the for, in, to begin this book. They did the most. The, the Getty Institute um, was uh, collaborated with an Egyptian organization to do the most amazing job of of, of saving the the tomb of Nefertari, 25 years ago. And, that, and that's one of the things of my book, which is the fragility of artworks okay, and, the, and, and the, the chance, their chance survival you know, over time, um, and, the, and the kinds of uh, reverence we should feel you know, for, for artworks that, that survive, and how, um, how inadequate the current um, academic styles of approaching art are, which are based on a kind of snarky, supercilious style, which looks for defects. In the artwork, okay, which um, which uh, speaks of the you know artwork as having you know being being the product of of economic forces of its time, uh, that uh, it's a secret you know, aggressions going on from a privileged class, etc. Whereas you know my attitude toward toward art is reverential. My the my, the, the, my influences were first of all Oscar Wilde, who um, in his in his whole um, idea of the, it's almost like a religion of art. Okay, it's the art for art's sake movement of the late 19th century, and his master. Were in turn Baudelaire and, and Gautier, Walter Pater in particular. Okay, so um, right now, um, it's been going on now for decades. Okay, it's unfashionable for professors to express enthusiasm for art. Okay, that's considered naive and reactionary. Right? Right. this is what I'm trying to change. Right? I despise this this tone of snide cynicism that is everywhere. It is the dominant tone now of the professional class. Okay, that you hear on TV. Rachel Maddow does it. Okay, Rachel Maddow. Okay, that's a superior tone. Okay, that she's gotten from wherever it was that she was the Rhodes Scholar and so on. Okay, you know, I'm a great listener to talk radio. I, I, I'm a, a Democrat. Okay, but I can instantly recognize, OK? Instantly recognize the voice of a liberal calling into those shows. Okay, now because the voice is very super superior. Okay, what happened? Okay, liberalism used to um, be uh, present itself as the voice of the working class, of the, a populist voice. But the distance now from the upper middle class liberal democratic establishment and actual working class life, okay, is this enormous gap. Okay, right now, right, And what i what I'm saying is that it's, it's affecting the arts. Okay, the, the, attracting arts and letters, the snarky cynicism. Uh, now, I'm an atheist. In fact, I think I started the American fad for it. You know, when I went around in the early '90s on my book tours, I started saying I'm an atheist. You know, then Richard Dawkins was doing it in England, but no one else was. And now suddenly, everyone's come out of the woodwork. All those like little n- nerds at the Nation, you know, came out. Oh, I'm an atheist. I'm an atheist now, waving their little flag now. Okay, where were they? Okay. All right before. All right. but it, but here's the point. I I despise the kind of atheism that's become fashionable. I think, I think, you're applauding that. All right, you must know what I mean. All right, but uh, Christopher Hitchens, okay, uh, had, had, had the audacity, okay, to write a book "God is not great" without doing a stick of research, nothing. Into he, the man knew nothing about religion. He did no research. He basically talked, you know, that you know that, that that book, you know, in, in, into print. Right? I, this, and I say in the introduction to this book, and i and, and i my target is Hitchens and his and his admirers. Okay, I say, <laughs> sneering. Okay, at religion is juvenile, symptomatic of a stunted imagination. All right now you can criticize the um the hierarchy of the church the, the the abuses by bishops and you know the bad stewards popes and so on that's not the same thing as religion the great religions of the world are these enormous poetic philosophical systems that contain profound truth about human existence right one of the great patterns okay of the 1960s okay was this embrace of the world religions what happened to that okay my my generation I was in college from 64 to 68. We inherited the Beats' interest in Zen Buddhism. The, the poet Gary Snyder went and became a, a, a you know, Buddhist monk in Japan. Okay. And then we made the movement also toward Hinduism. I mean, this is why the Beatles ended up going to India you know, and then became disillusioned with the Maharishi, Mahesh Yogi, and, and so on. What happened to that? Okay. Well, it, it sort of petered off into the New Age movement, when now, which is now kind of stereotyped by... You know, it's like hot stone therapy and, and <laughs> reflexology and aromatherapy and, you know, and even Oprah is in some way, you know, the, the result of that. All right, but this is the, the actual movement toward, uh, you know, the, the world religions somehow it reached a dead end. Okay? Now, I've been arguing for 20 years that the study of comparative religion is the true multiculturalism, and it should be at the heart of the curriculum. Right? So what I'm, doing, what I'm doing in this book is... Um, To to, to liberals, I'm saying that there is a spiritual dimension to art, that that the artistic mission is spiritual right? and that the way um, it, academe has now become so stultified and ossified you know with these with these, this cynical way of uh, approaching art is is producing the present poverty of the artistic and intellectual landscape in the us okay? and it's so one, one of the for, for the arts to revive in the us okay um, the artists have to be rescued okay, from this very limited and to me you know very brittle kind of, of, um, of, of of chic atheism—that's that's out there right now. I'm I'm saying be an atheist, okay, but recognize okay, that that mankind, the history of humanity, okay, there is a there is a a spiritual thirst, okay, for meaning. Now, even if I'm that is not even permissible to say, okay, in academia, meaning. Oh, there is no meaning. Every, everything is subjective, okay. Right? History doesn't exist, okay. There's no narrative. There's no storyline in history. It's nothing. To, that's why they have this like very anyway, atomized way of, of approaching things. Thick description call it. Oh sure. Okay. Um, at, but, please. Okay. These are ideas from literary people who, who, are, who are trapped in, in their own web of words. right In the visual arts, there are concrete objects. Okay. They have survived over time. Okay. You cannot use post-structuralism to explain them away. Okay. All right. And hence so, you know, the heroic you know, job of reclamation done by the Getty Institute of Nefertari's tomb. Okay. All right. These are real things. And that you know that exists that would physical materials um, and um, some objects have survived, it's, it's, uh, others have disappeared. Okay? this is you know, the great mission of archaeology to, to rescue, to, re- to to construct speculative explanations for the meaning of objects you know in, in their particular vanished cultures and so on. Okay? So what I'm I'm saying in the introduction, I, you know, i pose... I I I I oppose Academic Marxism. Marxism is a a, a useful tool for talking about um, economic systems following the Industrial Revolution. It's also somewhat useful for talking about the the developments of, you know, of a mercantile economy from the late Middle Ages into the Renaissance. But that's it. Okay, it doesn't do anything else. It is not. It does not explain all of human life. Right. So what I say in the introduction is that Marxism lacks a metaphysic. Okay. Right? that this Marxism sees only society, that's all it sees. Okay? It doesn't see nature, it doesn't see the cosmos, okay? it doesn't understand that human beings okay, have a relationship to the universe okay and, and right? that, that, that the distinguishing mark of humanity is the search for meaning yes meaning may be evanescent yes it may be transient but that is that is absolutely innate in us the search for meaning and to have academics okay trashing meaning okay constantly okay and uh, projecting this you know, this you know this sterile atheism and also trying to diminish art the value of art okay our, our young people okay are being maleducated in a massive degree. It's why, the, it's why they let the, you know, the cultural landscape is so bereft right now. There aren't major figures you know, emerging for, for, for two generations now okay, of young people. There aren't major figures emerging, major novelists, major artists, okay, major cultural theorists. No. Okay, why? Okay, because of because their parents have bankrupted themselves. Okay, sending their kids. Okay, to be brainwashed. Okay, with these stupid nihilistic you know ideologies that are so and and, and, and they pretend they're leftist. Okay, this is they had nothing. These things have nothing whatever to do with the 1960s. Okay, nothing whatever. The idea that Foucault was this great revolution. Foucault like phoned it in. He was like, he was where he was. He was in he was in North Africa listening by telephone to whatever was happening in Paris. Okay, the, the, the brief 1960s. 68 revolution, you know, people rioted, and then the police put it down, big deal, okay? You know, it was like, nothing. what did they do? Nothing, okay? They were right back to, you know, the, to the French you know, uniformity and, and, and conformism, can we do it, please, okay? All right, the real revolution was happening here in America, okay? From, from the free speech movement at Berkeley, you know, and on, okay? At, at any rate, back to Marxism, okay? So the, the second thing, <laughs> the second thing Marxism, academic Marxism lacks, okay, is the psychology. Okay. That is, Marxism constantly defines human beings in terms of merely material desires and needs. Okay. And again, okay, that is inadequate. Absolutely inadequate, right? Every human being has spiritual hungers, okay? Uh, there's a, a, every human life is a, follows a spiritual quest pattern, and, it's, and, this, and I'm speaking to me, you know, I'm speaking with the authentic voice of the 60s that's gotten stifled, okay, by this faux 60s stuff, these, you know, these you know, beady-eyed careerists, okay, who've taken over. Um, Academe, okay, I think the entire academic establishment from coast to coast is co- utterly corrupt, okay? It, 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 these are base standards, you know these, these, these mediocrities, okay, who have attained these enormously high positions. This, the, pre- the, pre- the, pre- the pretense of being leftists when these people are going to be retiring as millionaires through their condos in Boca Raton or whatever, I mean it's an outrage it's absolutely an absolutely outrage. All right. OK, All right. so, um, so so I'm, I'm, I'm directing you know, my um, you know, part of this strategy is against the liberals okay? it's also directed to conservatives so. Um, going Now I've, since I've been listening to talk radio for, for, you know, 20, for 20 years, I love AM radio as a populous medium. I love to li- listen to the voices of the hosts who are entertainers, but also to the callers, okay? I also listen to sports radio, okay? You, you hear on sports radio voices that have no other p- place for expression in our culture, okay, on sports radio. People will call in, you know, from construction projects, from their truck, and, and with this long and very intricate and learned analysis of everything that went wrong in the football game, okay? And <laughs> What's wrong with the coach, and so on and so forth? I mean, it's absolutely amazing. I mean, and this is a real—it's a real American form. When, when I when I have to go abroad, and I take my little radio, and I there's no talk show. I I I feel this deprivation. Okay, I I you know I I just I love the human voice. I love the sound of the voice. I love the I love the sound of you know of, of American English, and these shows really really provide it. But I've been very alarmed over the last twenty years at okay this the denigration of art and artists by, you know, on conservative shows. And how did this happen? It happened because of that series of, of controversies over sacrilege and art that, that, that from the, the mid-'80s into the late-'90s, okay? It began with Andre Serrano's photograph, Piss Christ, okay, which is, which is, uh, shows a, a plastic crucifix submerged in a glass beaker of the artist's urine. Okay? Now, this, this remains a very controversial work where, where you know, it's been attacked a number of times in Europe and, and here and so on. Now, I think that this, was a, this has been such a destructive thing for the art world. Okay? The art world has, def- has defended the work. It, 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 you know, the artist has the right to, to do the work, okay? but at what cost and what, this, this third or fourth level work, okay, is just not—it has not been worth the the destruction of the image of art. In the eyes of the mainstream audience, the art world has done a very. In defending Serrano, the art world has done a very poor job of speaking in general for art. Okay? So that if if the mainstream audience only knows contemporary art in terms of these sacrilegious works, can, can you see why? Okay, you're getting the, the uh, you know the, the the dropping of art programs, you know, coast to coast by small towns who have you know who have like a strapped budget. The the, the rationale for art, okay has not been made by the art world. All right? now, you know, I mean, I consider Serrano a weasel because he doesn't—he he would, I mean, wouldn't—he wouldn't even cop to the fact that he was trying to offend. Okay, all right. He immediately started saying, "Well, it was really about actually the work is about the cheapening of the image of Christ." Okay, in today's society. Okay, I, I, I should have said probably late capitalist society. I mean, I'm sure he's like, "All right, oh, give me a break." Yeah, that's why you called it piss Christ. Right, that makes a lot of sense. All right. So then there was the thing after thing. Now, I—you I, know—the the argument over over rubber maple. Uh, was quite different. I, I, uh, I feel that Robert Mablethorpe's photographs of the um, the gay the gay male, you know, sadomasochistic underground, you know, in New York, are, these are wonderful uh, images. Uh, but I, it, I, and I think it's actually the last time there had there there was. Genuinely avant-garde art coming out of out of the United States. Okay, I've, I've defended them. I didn't think that they belonged in the Corcoran Gallery of Art, you know, a few blocks from the White House. I thought that I thought that was you know in, in a, in a, in a, rather inappropriate. I thought they belonged in in uh, like a, a private galleries where they could they could be seen. You know, they you don't have you know, school children going through and and so on. All right, um, but the, the, to me the, the really destructive controversy was the one at the Brooklyn Museum of Art, the Sensations show. Uh, uh, which was, was just showing the entire sachi collection wholesale in 1999. Oh, only five minutes. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Oh, oh, oh no. Oh, no. Oh no! All right. Well, anyway, we're going to have a we're gonna have question period. Don't worry. All right. Well, I'll get everything in. All right. Um, so, all right. So, you know, the, the, now, now, now this was very destructive because at this point in 1999, Talk radio was 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 well established. Okay, um, it was uh, when the when the you know Piss Christ uh, controversy well, uh, happened in the in the late '80s. Uh, talk radio was still not a, a major force. So, so this was the destructive one. I believe I was the only voice coming from an art context. Okay, to like to try to warn. Okay, the art world about this. You know about what the potential for. Uh, damage was okay, to art itself in the United States. Okay? Um, and, and so the, the big thing was this work by the British Nigerian artist Chris Ophele, a work that had passed unnoticed in, um, in London. It's called The Holy Virgin Mary because England is a secular and Protestant country. They, what do they care? You know, anything about Catholicism. But bringing that over to New York City, which has an enormous population of ethnic Catholics, you see, set off an explosion. You know, the Catholic League. In the, in the, in the, in the way the painting was was attacked in the um, tabloid press was extremely inaccurate. Right? Um, it was said that it was um, you know it was like manure spattered, you know dung spattered. N- not true. Uh, it was a multimedia work, you know of, of uh, showing a black Madonna rather caricatured, rather cartoony. If a white artist had done had, had shown a black Madonna looking like that, it, it, he, he would have been accused of racism. Okay, but it was it was a very cartoony Madonna with um, and, again multimedia. Uh, this uh, Ophelia had used elephant dung, okay, from the London Zoo for a number of his works, okay, and for this one he used, he had two um, sort of blobs of dung as the pedestal, and, but it, but the inflammatory thing was one of the breasts of the Madonna was composed of, of dung. Now, um, you know, I, if there had been adequate curatorial support, the, this controversy would not have become so inflamed, right, now, there are so many things one could have said, I could have written the whole thing on the side, you know, for, you know there was nothing to explain, you know, no reference to fr- African fertility cults or, or or, you know the the imagery of I mean there there are, there are all kinds of things you can say I mean the e- Egyptian religion has a whole um, it has a whole uh, symbol system about dung the, the scarab beetle you know rolling rolling dung is actually an image of the of the sun it's actually very so one could have said all kinds of things about, about African culture there's also a tradition in southern Europe of black Madonnas in Spain and and in Italy okay so but the, but no the Brooklyn Museum did not want did not want to provide any explanation okay it wanted a big controversy, in or in order to get box office uh, sales, and indeed, uh, it was it was a, co- a commercially successful show. But at what cost? You see, now um, it, it was a, something that the you know the liberal mainstream press was it was. Utterly suppressing, okay, about that painting, the fact that the apparent butterflies around the Madonna were actually cutouts of female genitalia from pornographic magazines. Okay, so the so the the motive of Chrysophile was not entirely celebratory. Okay, uh, about the Madonna, there was an attempt to provoke, to shock. Okay, I, and again, I feel that a curatorial support could have spoken again, you know, of the great goddess figures of the of the use of of a vulval, you know, imagery, the delta, and you know, so. Many types of art. In fact, the, the second chapter of my of my new book has a has a Cycladic idol, you know, one of these statuettes from the Greek islands, where you can clearly see, you know, the uh, you know the, the, the inverted pyramid with with a with a groove representing the fertility of of mother figures, both both, both uh, sacred and and human. Okay, so so much could have been said to to support that painting, but you know, and, the, and then it, the situation was further exacerbated by the mayor Ru- Rudolf Julius Jul- Wading into it and um, and threatening to evict the Brooklyn Museum from its lease. I mean that that, that was completely you know unjustified, okay, utterly. Okay, right, the politicizing you know uh, you know of this. Nevertheless, okay, right, I mean Philippe F- F- de Montebello, who was um, the director of the Metropolitan Museum of Art, c- uh, criticized the exhibition in, in the New York Times from a different point of view. That is, there was what he what he regarded as um, a dubious, okay, a- ethically dubious. Um, uh, Relationship co- contracts between the director of the Brooklyn Museum and, and Sachi, this ri- very rich financier from from England. That, that, that there were things that were violating museum protocols. But the actual substance of you know of the controversy was not that was no one dealt with it at all. I was the only person who said that this is not a good, this is the, the art world has to wake up. Okay, the, the, the period of the avant garde is over okay the avant-garde is dead okay why should the the public constantly think that the only important art in mean, the eyes of the art world is one that is shocking or transgressive. Okay? I mean, they, 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 there's a noble tradition of transgressive art that goes back to the dawn of Romanticism, late 18th century, early 19th century. Okay? The Impressionists starved okay, for their avant-garde art. They, they couldn't sell a painting. Okay? They, they, you know, the great salon shows wouldn't, wouldn't even show their work. Okay? So there once was a cost to transgressive art, to have avant garde art. Okay. A price was to be paid. You you like, you, you poverty, ostracism, you know, uh, derision okay people you know laughing openly people laughed openly at Monet's works okay this they had to move some of his works up because people were congregating crowds <laughs> laughing at it and so on so what so in what and what's the price paid you know for the last 30 years you know for, just take any Catholic symbol and produce a work that will insult you know catholics okay what 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 price is paid no the new york times will praise you okay you'll get a grant from the national endowment for the arts okay berkeley will hire you and Go on, right okay you see the, the, this whole transgressive gesture thing is now fraudulent it's empty okay we must move beyond it okay all right and, and toward this what I'm saying okay a recognition of the spirituality of art something and to recognize in the 21st century people are looking for meaning we're not trying to subvert meaning okay and to realize that the, that the, that the cultural context that, that, that young people you know are being educated in is absolutely. Starving them, okay? it's starving their imaginations, okay? and it's just shutting down American culture in what I regard as a very fatal way. All right, you've got to pull the plug now. Okay, all right, so all right, okay. So now we want, we want to go to the questions. Yes, okay. absolutely. Okay. Right. Yes. Thank and, 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 you so much. Okay. We'll continue. We're, gonna, we're leaving.
1: Hi, my name is Nancy Hi. Pilcher, longtime fan. So, in a couple of your essays about Lempicka, Warhol, and George Lucas, uh, you mentioned that a lot of critics seem to shun art that's popular, successful, the artists are Wealthy, etc.
0: Right, right. Where does that stem from? The story of the avant-garde became the dominant storyline about art. Okay, therefore, uh, I mean, the reason why uh, Tamer de Lampica, you know, in, in Art Deco in general, okay, is is uh, you know is re- marginalized still in, in you know by art history is because it, it, it catered to a wealthy elite. Um, it was embraced by Hollywood. I mean, Art Deco appeared at a, a, a moment when, um, it, like, influenced Cedric uh, Gibbons sets and so many. Movies from the late 1920s to the 1930s, uh, this, the great the skyscrapers of, of New York, which are commercial buildings, and so on. Right. So, it's, so the, um, it was really only gay men who preserved Art, art Deco objects after the after um, the fashion for them passed because of the war. You know, the from the late 1930s to 1940s, all of a sudden Art Deco seemed seemed frivolous. So in, so, in my book, I have Tamara de Lempicka, uh, a, a, a rather you know, not, not widely known portrait of a, of a of a social a doctor that I think is extremely dramatic and I make a kind of barbed remark so in the few places you can kind of feel my voice coming out, or the people who know, know my work and can feel my voice coming in where I, where I say that Frida Kahlo is the, you know, is actually is the, is the preferred um, artist these days of feminism okay? and and the and, and why okay she 's the ultimate victim, of course, right you know she had like a she had a tram accident, okay you know she like had multiple surgeries, you know she had like problems with you know pregnancy and, and female ailments you know she had a husband who like cheated on her constantly, she was a communist she's perfect, okay you know for, <laughs> for, for, you know, for, for uh, sorry, but I like to marry olympica and, and see, another thing is that. Um, very few Tamara de Lempica paintings are in um, museums. They, 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 they're in private collections of movie stars. Movie stars love them. Like Madonna, who only knew about it through her brother Christopher Chacon who is like a classic kind of gay aesthete, you know, who's, who's now who's now a shoe, you know, di- designer okay? um, and, and so uh, people haven't seen the paintings t- too much. And, um, uh, I, and I'm, I'm very grateful to Laura Claridge's wonderful biography of uh, Tamara de Lempica I mean, this was this was. A what, this was a woman who was like really in the forefront of the sexual revolution in the 1920s and 30s she was like openly bisexual and a career woman and, and like just an overwhelming personality I think she's a fascinating uh, person but, but um, uh, you know people who have been able to really see her paintings in the private collections you know talk about how luminous they are how the, the quality okay which, you, which really is not coming across in any kind of kind of photograph right? now your other thing was yeah George Lucas absolutely what one of the reasons George Lucas is not being taken seriously right now is because um, by our critics is because um, of his commercial success and number one it's an overwhelming you know success he's also seen as a kind of pur- purveyor of entertainment to children um, and uh, you know, and, and he's blamed along with Steven Spielberg for having um, uh, having um, changed the market, you know, of of, um, of movies where it's now tilted toward, uh, you know, blockbuster inter- entertainments, uh, it, which have driven out sort of character, you know, character um, uh, um, motivated films. Uh, and and so, be, so there's a kind of grudge against him. He's also very reclusive. He doesn't he doesn't uh, you know give interviews. Um, what, so what I'm saying is that. Um, I, I had, my original intention was not to include George Lucas in the book. That wasn't never, never my intention. But I was looking for strong examples of contemporary art to end this book in. Okay, I, art that could stand up to. The, the masterpieces that are earlier, okay, and I couldn't find it. I, mean, I, I saw a, a lot of good art, but it, it, art that always reminded me of like ten other things I've seen, okay, in the last two hundred years. Okay, art has become very derivative. It, it's it's a, it's, a, it's going through repeating gestures that have been made elsewhere, okay. And, and there's a real limitation of imagination. I, I you know I I I really want women artists in particular to be making bold gestures and 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 to be trying all kinds of things. I and I just don't i don 't feel that i i, I 't feel that going on in you know in the fine arts right now so at, at any rate while in this process of writing the book for five years okay it was supposed to be two years I, I'm, I'm so i 'm so glad for my my publisher 's indulgence i mean they went on and on but um and uh but I, I wanted to produce a slim book but nevertheless all right um and and i was i kept on seeing these the star wars movies on spike tv which like often does them like like nonstop you know like a ribbon of them going for days and so on and i became i became obsessed with this with the finale of Revenge of the Sith, which was the last film was in the Star Wars series that was it was made by uh, released by Lucas, who directed it in 2005. It belongs to the midpoint of the of the narrative, okay, but it's the last film that he made. And this finale, okay, is unbelievable. It's absolutely unbelievable on, on the volcano planet of Mustafar, and to me, it is like it, 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 the way it combines apocalyptic nature painting, okay, of the volcano landscape, okay, the destruction of Industry—it's like absolutely chilling. Okay, the way all you have this like giant disintegration of this mineral collection plant, okay, falling into the in, into the lava, which is like to me, you know, the great the meaning of the you know the the fragility of human achievements and and, and the power of nature—it's it's it's really sublime in the original romantic sense of sublime, right? The destruction of politics. Okay, Lucas cross cuts to the destruction of the Senate chamber over on Coruscant. Okay, and so all right. And, and meanwhile, you get this dance theater between the, the, the two actors it's the longest duel ever filmed okay right? and, but it, and it was done there's no speeding up of, of, of you know at all this this was at, this was took them months to rehearse those two men okay these two actors you know to, to, to rehearse that that duel it was shot against green screen in Australia and then a year later the computer animated background you know was um, you know, was added okay all right? then uh, you see finally the mystery who is Darth Vader Darth Vader who is this world figure Okay, it, it, that for several generations, you know, now for children all over the world, that Darth Darth Vader is you know, still at Halloween, it's the most, one of the most popular costumes, you know, for, you know, for children and so on. Who is Darth Vader? How did that happen? How did he turn into this half-machine creature? Now there, here's the answer. Okay, you see what happened, okay, and, and, and this incredibly horrific moment when Anakin Skywalker is like um, you know, is like he loses his chop chop, <laughs> okay, he loses his limbs, okay, then becomes incinerated, okay? All right. It's like Horrible. Then the, the reconstruction of his, of his body into the machine man, okay, by the by the surgical droids. Right? Meanwhile, cross cut to his wife, Natalie Portman, okay, who's dying in childbirth, okay, you know, <laughs> bearing bearing the twins Luke and Leia, whom we know from originally the original thing, and so on. All right, okay, again the surgical droids, and then uh, then uh, finally the, 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 it all ends with the separation of the twins. Sent to distant planets. It ends in this wonderful piece. To me, it's like a, an Italian opera, okay, with the, with the music, okay, and the visuals and the emotional intensity between the, these two men. It's like so passionate. Ewan McGregor is apparently like crack, weeping as Obi Wan Kenobi there. At so any rate, people who dismiss what I'm saying have not seen it, okay. That's all I can say, okay. <laughs> okay. No, sorry. But- <laughs> Hi, my name is Jennifer Swan, and I've been
2: teaching students K through 12 for 25 years, a visual art educator. Oh. I battle to, give, to um, give my students context. I often, administrators will, will balk at me setting context. I, I always like to teach from a social studies perspective, mm-hmm. going way back and then zooming in and zooming out and moving forward so that they can place themselves in the big picture. Yeah. And my goal as an art educator is to give my students a voice, and for them to really understand that this is just one of the ways that they can express themselves. But guess what? They're connected to all these other people that used to do this, isn't, uh-huh. and isn't that interesting? Yeah. And I do jump up and down, and get very excited about oh, how people <laughs> express themselves. My question, two questions. One is, what is your if what would be if you were me and you had to walk into LA Unified School District and rationalize art education, Yeah. what would you say? No swear words. And number two, if you could come to my fifth through eighth grade after school art class um, where we have no money and I barely get paid anything anymore, what would you tell my young artists?
0: Well, I, I mean, well, first of all, there's two, two issues there. W- one is that it, it, all students, whether they intend to be artists or not, deserve exposure to great uh, art images. Right? So one of the things I'm, I'm saying in the, in the introduction of this book is that the, the visual environment for all children right now is extremely is cluttered, it's, it's fragmented, it's chaotic. Right? There a, there's a constant storm of visual impressions coming at you from everything, from computers, from, you know, you know on, 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 on the airplane flying down, today it's like it's like right, right on the level of your eyes are, are these screens okay coming at you coming at you coming at you yeah yeah like when you know put your card through and like CTV and so on I mean, and, and I mean, it, 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 we, we are the brain in order to survive this constant visual onslaught okay obviously has to shut down you know various parts of itself and I'm also concerned about um, about whatever role all these these fragmented you know flashes are playing in the, the you know in the in the proliferation of ADD, Attention Deficit Disorder, okay, I think that, you know, that, that there could really be cognitive impairment going on. Okay? So what, what I'm saying about the art image is that to encourage students to gaze okay, in stillness at a single image with their eyes, and to explore the image and see what's in there, I believe that that act is a very important exercise that belongs in education, okay? It's extremely important, right? I think there's a, a sense of serenity, okay, and balance, you know, that comes from that thing, and I, and I, I think absolutely this this has to be built into to our, our, our curriculum, because what, another thing is, what what strong images do the kids see? I mean, they see everything always motion, motion, motion. I mean, in, in video games, okay, where, where, by the way, space is all, all I mean, it's, it's not normal. Okay, there's like weird warpings of space going on. Even you know, TV cameras, cameras coming over, um, over football games, you know, do weird things to, to you know, to, to the you know, to the to the image. Uh, you know, our, our TVs have um, you know different settings. Okay, you have to like you have to like push a button to get it to do a normal setting. Mostly, it's spread. You go to a sports bar. It's like there's a spread image where where you know people's faces are like are, you know, so. So we, we have accepted distortion, okay, distortion, you know, and fragmentation, okay, as 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 the norm in in our society. And it's like so, um, at, at any rate, okay, that's what you know. What what I what I'm what I'm saying is that I think that art education is, is not only introducing you to culture, but I, I think it has psychological benefits in stabilizing perception, okay, uh, and and focus and concentration on the part, part of uh, young people. Now, in, you know, in the introduction I talk about how all this happened, this like rapid fire thing. It began with Godard who was like a genius, okay, one of the great you know, directors of French New Wave around 1960, who uh, began to use this fast edit, okay, and ed- a, a fast and kind of cryptic edit that destabilized you. That wasn't part of normal storytelling. Now, the way he did it was incredibly artful. Why? Because he had grown up looking at conventional narrative film, great mass so, so he was kind of satirizing okay, the, the, the slow style, you know, of, of other uh, of prior films, and then Richard Lester, uh, uh, you know, t- uh, who, uh, picked that up and um, accelerated it for the Beatles movies. Okay, that that is. You know, um, Hard Day's Night and, and Help. That's the way that style, rapid edit style, got into, um, into uh, you know, like, eventually ended up in MTV. Okay, so there's a kind of fusion there. You know, to, to, to publicize a, a rock band, you, like, do this, like, like, this, like rapid fire thing. Now, this, so this is now totally out of control, this style, in, um, in TV commercials. It's like flash, flash. It's being done by ignoramuses, okay, who have, who have never seen great films, don't understand that every edit should have a meaning. Okay, there's all these meaningless edits coming coming at us. Like I was at a, 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 a like a, a like a Mexican restaurant like two, like two uh, like, um, two weeks ago. Okay, and, and there was like this blinding flash going on. I thought was is, is someone like no. And I turned around and it was it, it, all the sports TVs were on, and it was simply a TV commercial. It was going flash, flash, flash. I mean, it's like a Nazi interrogation, you <laughs> know, technique. Right? There's something like seriously wrong. Okay, with with you know with, uh, this visual environment. Okay, the, this, the meaning, the speed. When you look back. At like nineteen fifties TV commercials. Okay, it's amazing just how slow everything is. And like, and like today's um, students, they don't have any patience for looking at you know the, those like very slow and languorous European art films that kind of formed my imagination. You know like like Bergman. So the, they, they, oh, the cinematographers that those European directors were working with: Fellini, Bergman, um, you know, um, uh, Antonioni, and so on. What quality of shot making, of composition? You know, the quality of the Photography and now, we're at this period, we're, we're not my photography majors. Okay, have been lamenting. Okay, the, you know the end of film. Okay, the end of film and the end of photography as an art form. The new age of digital. Okay, uh, digital images are very sharp, very clear, with super saturated color. is kind of artificial, right? The kind of depth perception we're used to, the contouring of figures in space from oil painting, from great photography, is 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 gone now. The manipulation, you know, of, the, by, of by the photographer, of not only in the development process, but in lighting and so on, it's gone. Our young people never see great photography, they never see great images. How are we ever gonna get art, okay, out of, you know, a new art, new creative art, out of several generations of young people that have never seen any great imagery?
2: You are the supernova that we need right (laughs) now. Thank you. We... Can I have
0: this? Thank you.
2: we share an interest in Frank Zappa, who said, who are the brain police? Yes. And Marshall McLuhan, who said, I'm Applied Joyce. Okay. Marshall merged like a combo burrito, uh. Uh, technological determinism and Manipian satire to break the Finnegan's Wake code. <laughs> and he learned this. He learned that everything we invent has hidden psychic effects, like yes. cars, right. uh, private mobility. Right. And the question is, he said, we look to the artist and they reveal these hidden effects, but why do we ignore these hidden psychic effects of the things we invent?
0: Marshall McLuhan is one of my great influences one of the great minds prophetic you know of, of the 20th century and, the, and, that, and that was one of the things that, by the way I, I held against academe in, in, the, in the 1970s instead of embrace, uh, embracing McLuhan into the curriculum they were running off after LeConte Derrida and Foucault in the in the Frankfurt School are they mad? absolutely mad When we had this visionary figure McLuhan's mind was, was amazing and also Leslie Fiedler who was like a great radical uh, you know, writer you know of, of the, um, you know of the you know of of the 1950s, and 1960s, I mean, it, this this turn t- t- toward the French—it was madness. Um, but uh, the, 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 there's a lack of psychology, as I said, in these in Marxist approaches. There's a lack of psychology. Okay, so uh, McLuhan could see psychologically okay, and, and psychically, okay, as, as well. Okay, um, and and th- that's why you know his his formulations, you know, had had such power. Okay, I mean, he he was truly intuitive. Okay, this this whole other style is is, is it, it is like a, it's a eight, these people are a priori dogmatic thinkers. Okay, they begin—they begin with the you know the rubric of the Messiah, Lacan, Derrida, Foucault, and they just rubber stamp it, you know, on, on everything. Whereas McLuhan. Allowed himself, okay, to be played upon, okay, by by um, by media, by, by by burgeoning media, and so there's a really a kind of sensory quality to his thinking and to his responses, and and that is what's completely lacking in this high concept gimmicky style, you know, the, these French styles, okay, they, they come in with with, with these ponderous jargon ridden theorems and like and, ju- and just force, it's like cookie cutters, they just force everything, you know, under them, and so that's why they're, they're completely wrong, right? In order to be an artist, in order to f- or function as a writer, okay, you have to be totally open okay, to your inner life, to your dreams, okay, to you know, to, to fantasy, okay, um, and, and that's what's, that, that's what's lacking, okay? This is that kind of free play of imagination is, it, that McLuhan had is completely lacking in you know in in our, in, our, in our current academic establishment for sure, right? But thank you, you're a man after my own heart. Thank you. <laughs>
1: my name is Stuart Denenberg. I'm an art dealer and a poet, and um, I'd be I'd love to hear your thoughts on uh, two artists, in particular, and a kind of an overlay. The two artists, to compare and contrast, would be uh, Jeff Koons and Damien Hirst. And the overlay, uh, yes, exactly. Uh, <laughs> I'm expecting that right. hoping for it. And the overlay is Larry Gagosian, thing.
0: All right, well, all right. Now, uh, I, I, I'm making it a rule, a rule on, on on this book tour not to, um, I think it's unfair for me to single out any contemporary artists, except in the cases of artists who are bad artists, okay, and, and who have profited enormously, um, in, uh, and so therefore the only, only two artists I'm actually talking about are Damien Hurst and Jeff Koons, right? So the <laughs> All right. Um, and you know Damien Hirst is a good example of the high concept you know, a priori style I'm talking about. He starts with a, with a, with like a, oh this will be good, okay, this will draw attention, and then he makes it, okay. I mean you, you, you like for example like like the, the the crystal skull with all the diamonds. This could have been a very in, interesting work, okay, but but you feel it's like it's a gimmick, okay. It's it's car, it's cartoony. In speak of cartoony, you know Jeff Koons, right? Um, it, it, you know, it's a completely cartoony. His work is uh, essentially just blow up. Of, of miniatures okay um, and, and so you'll I mean, it's in, in they're charming in a way where you you'll get you know like a, a, a puppy suddenly you know a giant topiary you know monument um, but it completely his work completely lacks okay the true wit the true imagination of Klaus Oldenburg okay Oldenburg you know what what was what, what really was in tune in his great period okay, when the great pop artists and, and sculptors in tune with his dream life right and I it to, it's, to me, it's like Lewis Carroll. It, 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 the ideas, the the, the, the wit. Okay? Uh, you know, Oldenburg would, would do things like. Have um, you know like a giant toothpaste tube? Okay, that's like a used toothpaste tube on the floor, um, and you look at it, and, and you realize that it's like it's kind of echoing like a colossal I- image of a you know of a, of a you know of a Greek sculpture. Okay, on, on the floor because it, it looks vaguely humanoid. Okay, on the on the floor there, it's like slightly disturbing. You know, he would take um, y- y hamburgers and making giant hamburgers, you know, out, out of out of canvas. Okay, or a, a typewriter pencil eraser and a gi- giant giant. Scale, or, or he would like he would make a you know a, a wall plug and out of vinyl his soft sculptures you know of, of bathtubs and toilets and so on so one of my some of my favorite ones that he did he did a series of fur fudgicles um, where where you have like um, you, they, they were they were like they were sort of like uh, uh, you know fabric leopard skin and so on like with a with a popsicle stick wonderful because you know, like you would look at them and you you know they were beautiful but you like you felt what would it be like to like lick one of those you know and get get lint on on your tongue right I. He had such such a mention. So um, Jeff Koons, I mean, you have to compare Oldenburg to, to to Jeff Koons, right? And and like the weakness of modeling, the lack of proportion, you know, like the like for example, the life size. Um, you know, uh, sculpture. What's called a sculpture group of Michael Jackson, you know, and his um, chimp bubbles. Okay, all right? It, it's just you know, it's like an interesting idea, but it, the way it's done is it's like a little little China miniature that you find in a souvenir shop, just blown up to a large size. It's completely lacking in any kind of grace or proportion. It just like stupid. Okay. You know, anyway, all right, all right, all right. I hope that's enough. Okay. All right. <laughs> I had two questions for you. The first one is... Uh, are you ever going to consider releasing the second volume of sexual persona and I really hope you do the second volume of sexual Personae, what, what was about popular culture and in Yale press when you, you know my first book sexual persona got rejected by seven publishers and five agents okay so I, I'm like a walking illustration of like persistence right uh, people I like, have those rejection slips piling up and but it, it was already so long I mean, it was it was 700 pages even with you know in print even without the pub. The, the problem is okay that in the intervening time which is now 22 years. Okay, I've been in in essence using material, you know, my my, percep- my my opinions about the Rolling Stones or Betty Davis or you know, well, you know, Catherine Hepburn, all those things that were chapters in the, in, in the book. I, I've been saying, you know, on Salon.com, my my column and, and so on. So, um, you know, I don't, I don't think it's a, like when I when I re- originally finished the book in the early 80s. Okay, I, it took till 1990 to, to get published. Like the Rolling Stones were an eclipse. Okay, people were not taking them seriously. Now now they've made this enormous Comeback over the last fifteen years. I mean, now the other, you know, even the biography, you know, or the memoir of Keith Richards is like a bestseller, and so on. I mean, there's really no. I mean, he's my, he's one of my heroes. Um, there's no need, really, you know, for me to do the vol- to volume two at this point. Yeah. I disagree. I think it would be great. But, oh well. Um,
2: the, the second, the second no, question. But, but, wait, my, my, yeah.
0: my, but my next book, I think, will be more important because now you know popular culture is accepted, you know, much more okay, than, than it was. But my next project is on Native American art in archaeology. That's my next. And I think I think the world needs that more. Okay, okay. because there's there are there's real deficiencies in um, these ethnic studies um, areas. Uh, people, the, 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 there's a lot of anthropology that's been done in Native, uh, you know, American art. Um, but but it seems like no one has come to it from a background of world art, okay, and so there are all kinds of things mm. that I am seeing there, okay. That I, I feel I can supply. So I think that that's more important. That sounds yeah. great. Yeah. Uh,
2: my second question is, could you talk about your appreciation for the
0: Real Housewives? Oh sure. Okay. All right. This uh, uh, Solana, it's out outed me like in like uh, in a big interview like uh, about two weeks ago. Um. Yeah. The, the only thing I watch on TV is Turner Classic Movies now. Okay. And, and, to, and the Real Housewives, you know, uh, series from Bravo. Which I which I adore, okay, I, I um, and I you know I think that um, that they're they're interesting even in a technical way. I mean my, my favorites would be the the uh, actually the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, Real Housewives of Orange County. I love Tamara, all right, and the um and the Re- the Real Housewives of um of New Jersey, which I think I, I began I, be, you know, I would have them on. And I began noticing that I was actually I was cooking and eating dinner. I began noticing that I could watch the same episode like six, seven, eight times. I said this. Is is a sign of quality, okay? When, when, and w- so, so what? Why, okay? Um, and, and when you see like early, early, you know, episodes from those series, they're very amateurish and they're not, they're not that interesting. They, they, so these people really the, the crews, the crews that are working um, in terms of the the way the, the shop shot making, okay, the and the way they're edited, okay. I mean, I really realized that I, I was getting really a kind of technical, you know, um, pleasure from from observing how these stories are told. Like there'll be the, the reaction shot, you know, someone like looking in this direction, or, or there'll be a shot of some fabulous shoes. Okay? it's all about fashion and you know and, and clothes and sex, and it's all about the women. And I, you know, I said in Salon that it's actually like the Discovery Channel, okay, it, uh, where, you, where, it's like, where it's like the African savanna, and you're watching the cheetah, you know, stalk the gazelle. And it, and so, and so what we're seeing, in my view, okay, is um, you know, so the authentic, the the authentic ferocious energies, okay, of, of female sexuality. You know, Gloria Steinem said a few months ago. She she said she said oh that she wanted to pick it. Okay, the Real Housewives of New Jersey show. And there and I said you know salon that there's a difference between her and me. Okay, like Gloria Steinem wants wants to say that anything negative about women is coming from men. Okay, the reason that they're like that is because men have made them do it or whatever. Okay, all, all the endless male bashing. Okay, and so and so Gloria Steinem has has closed her eyes all these years to the reality. You know, female sexuality and the way and the way Way that women it's really that women dress for women, okay? Men don't know anything, okay? You know, men just like to see some flesh, you know, flash some flesh, that's enough for them, okay? Women dress for other women, okay? And and when, and when, the, when these women, okay, meet each other, there's like this appraisal, okay? Looking up and so on and so on. You look beautiful and so on. And I began noticing, okay, I began, I, like I was noticing, I, I've been going to Brazil a lot for to lecture and so on the last five years. I'm a, I absolutely adore the, the, the culture of, of Brazil. And I began noticing like on, on TV shows and so on they, when you see like the when the women like the woman host and the women guests come out they go. Linda, Linda. Like that meaning beautiful, beautiful. I go, wow, this is interesting, okay? All right? It's like this, this eye, the observing eye that women have on, on each other. So, a, so this is like, like oh, mean girls, the, the reason for that, you know, uh, is, is, is because of, you know, of the, the, that women lack power in the world, so they turn all these energies, you know, on each other. It's all self lastering This is ridiculous, okay? All right? All right? It's, you know, I regard Real Housewives as a, anthropological, okay, documents, okay? All right? anyway and I enjoy them in, in greatly. Um,
1: my name is Jill Moniz and my question is the
0: people the
1: children that you're talking about who are lacking uh, in their exposure to art their parents aren't in this room um, and the references that you've made are, they're not there either so there's clearly a hierarchy in your own thinking about what is high art and what's important but how do you get Children whose parents can't afford to send them to private school or even send them to museums except on their school field trips to recognize the power of themselves through high art if even in this room and in this context there's not been a single mention of a person of color outside of Frito Kahlo um, who is worthy of... Being considered well, no. Art.
0: I mean, my, my book begins with Queen Nefertari, and I have, I, 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 have this totally obscure um, painting, okay, by, by an relatively an unknown African American artist, John Wesley Hardrick, okay, who was who was confined to Indianapolis for his, his entire life. I hope people are going to love this gorgeous portrait, okay, of, of this of this woman, Xenia uh, Goodloe, okay, which is which is in the book. And then uh, my my choice for performance art, okay, is the African American. Um, a photo, a photographer Renee Cox. I think this is one of my most wonderful images of the entire bo- book. Is um, she did she did this photo montage of herself using Photoshop, where she's um, dropped a, a picture of herself as in a Wonder Woman pose. She's like she's she took, took, took the persona of Raje, the an Avenger of racial injustice, right? And so she dropped herself into a picture, a stock picture of the Statue of Liberty. She's sitting on the crown of the Statue of. Liberty, and, and she is treated it with pop art okay so that th- I mean this is I. I think it's Gorgeous, and I hope I hope that you'll agree. But let me just say about the parent thing. Okay, my parents. I, you know, my, my father was the first member of his family of like ten. It was a blended family to go to college, and he, and he went on the, the GI Bill. I was born while he while he was in, in college. They had my parents had no money. Okay, but they subscribed to the Book of the Month Club, and they and they and they got. And I I say this in an introduction. They got this book, the History of Art. Okay, by by Gombrich. It just had it just had black and white illustrations, but that book had a tremendous impact on me. They just left it around the house, okay? So that's what I'm saying is that is that it, it just one, a single book can have an enormous impression left around the house, okay? Um, at, at, and that's what I've tried to supply here, okay? uh, you know, it, which, which is a simple handbook okay, that for, for a child to discover. I mean, uh, my, you know, my, my vision of art was formed before I was even in, in grade school, okay? So my, we, we had absolutely no money. I didn't have a telephone, okay, until I was like 12. We didn't even have a, a, a TV until I was in you know, uh, until I was in high school. So, you know, my background, you know, was an Italian immigrant that came over to work in the shoe factories, okay, there's absolutely, but, but in Italy... OK, there's no sense that art is elitist, OK? The art belongs to the people, OK? Everybody knows the, the, great, the great works of art of, of the Italian nation. They, 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 they know the operas. They respect musicians and artists. There's great prestige to being an artist. And so that's what I'm saying. I, I, I believe okay, that this, the, the, there's an elitism in the art world okay, that's completely false and has led to the, the present desert okay, of creativity, that in fact, art does belong to the people. Okay? And that's what I'm trying to do through the through, first step in this book. With that note, thank you so much.